Um, welcome here tonight. This is lesson seven of Establish Eden and the Two Trees. So we'll be diving into uh, more detail of Adam and Eve. But uh, congratulations. This is the, the final um, of the first quarter. So this is creation, and then it's catastrophe. Um, so the last of creation tonight. Um, so through creation, we've been learning definitely like key foundational truths. We've been focusing down here on the triune God, laying sort of the, the foundation of the foundations. We've been talking a lot of the bigness of God um, and what he's like, how creation has drawn out his character, um, how we've learned a lot of his attributes through um, the events of creation and creation of Adam and then Eve. We're going to dive into deeper tonight. Um, just I want to go through some of these pictures with you and just want to engage you guys more and more, uh, progressively uh, more so with each lesson. So does anybody want to tackle uh, our first picture here of the prophet, the man of God? We'll do sort of each evening a snapshot of the slides we've sort of covered so far. Has the prophets, the ones that wrote the word of God, inspired by God, the author, to write the word? That's right, yeah. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's right. By writing God's word down on paper and then they translated to a book out Yeah. And so here we have a picture. Well, this is scrolls, so like the ancient manuscripts. So this looks more familiar, a picture of the Bible. So what is the Bible to us today then? God's written word to us. Mm -hmm. So do we use it on par with other books of authority or sources of knowledge? It's final authority. Final authority. And why can we trust it as its final authority? Because God said so. Well, yeah, but you can't use that argument to too many people. That's right. Let's look up here, right? Let's not forget this timeline. God was there. The triune God was there before anything else, before any angels or any human beings. So if God is the author of the Bible and he uh, uses Holy Spirit to cause men to write it, then we know we can go back to it. I always use that example of if you want to know about World War II, then you're going to seek out a World War II veteran, somebody who was there, if you want the most authoritative accurate account, right, of World War II, of their take of it. So if we want to know about the beginning of all things, then who are we going to go to? God, and he's given us his written word. Okay, um, who wants to tackle one or both of these? Attributes, character of God, things that you see. So the first one, the black, black square, tells us a lot, and the second one, uh, the thousands upon thousands, ten thousand upon ten thousands angels. Go. <laughs> uh, empty and void. Yep. Square. Yep. And then the other square is um, heaven. What well, looks like looks like heaven. Yeah. And so then let's draw out what 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 character traits or attributes of God do we know from these uh, picture cues. God breathed the Spirit from the beginning. Yeah, so right away, God says, in the beginning, God. Because darkness. So what does that imply? When we, in the beginning, God, that's what we're seeing here. Mm -hmm. What is that telling us? 
Self-sufficient. Eternal. Eternal. Life-giving. Yeah, exactly. God is God was there. But I don't see a body, so God is also spirit. Infinite spirit has no limitation. And then what's what's this picture? We see it's angels, but what about what so what? Angels. Tell me. God created them. How did he create them? Perfectly, yeah. Could God have made them imperfect? No. Well, what character trait would that defy of his? His holiness. Yeah. That's right. If he made it, he's of course more powerful, and it says there is so many, thousands upon thousands, 10,000 upon 10,000, and he's unlimited, and so we don't get any idea that he was exhausted, that he took a break, that he needed to recharge his batteries. He, he managed these, and we, we talked a bit about the classroom setting and how many of us are tired after managing a classroom at the end of a day, whether it's children or homeschool kids or, or what have you. Here God is, was managing these angels, and these angels also were his servants, right, who did his bidding. They worshipped him. Um, very good. How about this here? We have a picture of the sun, the moon, the earth, the universe, basically, and then uh, creation with the animals and or with the fish and the birds. He, he did things in order and then prepared them for the next thing that was coming. So if he did them in order, he's a god of order. Of order. order. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, he made the space. Purposeful. That's right. Purposeful. Yeah, what is he doing in creation here? What is, he, what is he getting ready for? People. Great place for people to live. That's right. He made things according to their kind, to be reproducing according to their kind. Um, did he have to learn? Did he have to consult somebody else? Did he have to figure out how to do it? He's creative, isn't he? He's all-knowing, isn't he? Okay. What about, this is, I think, where we left off last week. So we have um, Adam and Eve in the garden with a bunch of animals. Actually, I should flip-flop those to be uh, the one on the right first there of Adam kind of coming out of the dirt. Yeah. So somebody want to tackle that one first and then, and then this? God breathing. His breath into his nostrils, and he became a living soul. Mm-hmm. And, a living being, uh, yeah. Because he was, and then, uh, and then um, he was created from his ribs or something. Yeah. yeah. So what do we know about man as God created? Dust of the earth. He was formed. That's right. The only one made in the image of God. Male and female. That's right. Yeah, so then here they are in the Garden of Eden. Perfect, beautiful. There's no flaws. And they walked with God in the beginning. That's right. There was no sickness, no sadness. That's right. Awesome. Very good, you guys. I'm going to do more and more of that with you. So even as you think of it, just be in the part of the Word where we're going to be teaching the following week and be in the, your little flip book, just you know, even thinking of what you would 
what you see of God in the pictures, what you know to be true of God in these pictures, and just rehearse it with yourself, what you would say or what you think when you see that even devotionally uh, with spouses or with grandkids. Um, yeah, this is just getting the, getting the thoughts flowing. And, and as you do that more and more, I believe you, you just are able to apply a lot of scenarios in your life to like, this is where God is. This is what he's doing here. This is where I see his attributes in my life right now. And, and you can then also share that with others when they're going through um, different situations. So today we're going to dive into God offers an eternal relationship. Um, did I jump ahead of myself here? We dealt with, yeah, sorry, I did jump ahead of myself a little bit. So you guys already talked about Adam, how we're made in his image, reflections of him. Um, anybody want to review that or you guys feel like it's fresh in your mind? How are we, how are we God's image bearers? How are we his, uh, made in his image? Ability-wise. We're creative too, exactly. Yeah, right on. Yeah, we have exactly. God is all knowing. We can learn and know. Yeah. We have mini dominion. That's right. We're like little little lords, little rulers. That's right. <laughs> We rule our home, <laughs> some better than others. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, we even had, I think we had read it last week where Adam, and we'll read it again this week, Adam was given the, the duty to name the animals, and that is, a, is exercising authority or dominion over, over something when you have the uh, authority to name it. That's right, yeah. How about love? Do we not love people in our lives? I mean, it might be conditionally based on a level. God loves us unconditionally, loves his people unconditionally. Right on. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. And that's where we're going more tonight into a relationship with God. Cool. Well, I hope you guys are anticipating learning new stuff from God tonight. Even though, like we talk about this being... Starting at square one, in a sense, there's always the best pearls are found in the greatest depths of the ocean. And so we might, know, we might think we know the ocean, but uh, let's keep diving deep to, to see what God will show us. So hope you're excited. Um, does anybody want to share anything of what's happened in the last week since our last teaching? If they've had opportunity to share, if, they've, um, if there's something that impacted them last week that they didn't know before that they want to talk about or something they're excited about, just to encourage a group. Got to shake you guys up a little bit. It's all good. Well, as that, as that happens, if you feel the freedom to share, I, I'm sure the group would just love to be encouraged that way, as, as would I. But So yeah, here we go. Pardon? Everything in God's mind, 
relationship, this relationship with God, and His Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and how we relate to Him and to everyone, everyone else. And in eternity, relationship is all that is going to really matter. Yeah, yeah, it all boils down to relationship. Yeah. Yeah, even when, when he says, let, let us make man in our image, there's already a relationship he's talking about that he's within himself in that, in that trinity. Thanks. And a relationship with the animals too, in the animal kingdom. Yeah, but different, very different. And then in the beginning, when, when he created the, the Garden of Eden, I guess they were friends with all the animals, eh? like the pet the animals and stuff. A little, little bit of Swiss Family Robinson style, I think. <laughs> Riding the ostriches, you know? Yeah. But I think when Jesus returns on the Mount of Olives, when he returns, maybe, we'll have, maybe the, when a new earth comes, um, maybe we'll be doing that too again, too. Maybe. Let's save that for later. Yeah. But who knows, though? You're right. So we're going to hang out in the garden uh, just a little longer. Um, basically, this is the last time we're in the garden in creation. We'll still have a couple more events, uh, of course, in the garden before we move in a sense. Um, so we're going to just dig into a few more truths that are found while things are still blissful and great in the garden. Um, and just primarily Adam's relationship with God. So something that's kind of been evolving through these last several lessons with you guys is I've been sort of giving you uh, the main hook and then other foundational truths. Um, and then last week, I still did that, but I allowed the foundational truths to be more embedded in the lesson and not as explicit. Um, so now I'm putting all, well, not all the weight onto you guys, but I'm really asking you guys to be engaging your minds deeper yet again tonight and going forward. As uh, I'll, I'll have a hook for you guys. Here it is. God offers an eternal relationship. Um, but other truths won't be explicit in terms of me drawing them out all the time. So I really want you guys to be um, mentioning, mentioning it back to me, what you're seeing, because there's, there's a great advantage to that. <clears throat> I might say that there's a few foundational truths, but there might be something that's screaming at you that is really, you're saying, I see this, and I want to hear it, and uh, I want the group to hear it. And so there'll be a few that, that I'll try to make sure by the end of the lesson that have been brought up and identified if people haven't mentioned, um, but that's going to be a little more of our format. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? Okay. So we begin with... Um, I'm going to just play a little bit of a video. We're in the garden. Adam's been made. Eve has been made. We're going to talk more about that detail. Um, but everything is perfect. Everything is good. God mentions that there's a couple of trees in particular in the garden. Um... I want to just play a couple minutes here of, uh, of a video of introduction to Genesis by the Bible Project guys. So I, I got to do a little bit of fendangling because my sound wasn't going to work. Is this going to work for me? Okay. Let's see if I can make this all work. And how it introduces the story of the whole Bible. So the book begins with God taking the disorder and the darkness described in the second sentence of the Bible, and God brings out of it order and beauty and goodness. He makes a world where life can flourish. And God makes these creatures called humans, or Adam in Hebrew, 
He makes them in his image, which has to do with their role and purpose in God's world. So the humans are made to be reflections of God's character out into the world. And they're appointed as God's representatives to rule his world on his behalf. Which in context means to harness all of its potential, to care for it, and make it a place where even more life can flourish. God blesses the humans. It's a key word in this book. And he gives them a garden. It's like a place from which they begin starting to build this new world. Now, the key is that the humans have a choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And that's represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up till now, God has provided and defined what is good and what is not good. But now God is giving the humans the dignity and the freedom of a choice. Are they going to trust God's definition of good and evil, or are they going to seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves? And the stakes are really high. To rebel against God is to embrace death, because you're turning away from the giver of life himself. This is represented by the tree of life. And so... Okay, that actually worked. So we have, we have something coming to the crux of a test of relationship. There's these two trees. We're going to read about it if you want to flip with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. We're going to, the scene is set. We're going to talk about where Adam is, where Adam is at. And then we're going to dive into uh, these two trees. So I just open you with that, the, the trees, the two choice, a test of relationship. And then let's just dive a little deeper into the whole scene. Genesis 2.8, if somebody could read that for me with a clear voice. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Perfect. So it says, there he put, it says, the man in the garden, right? So the garden at this point in time is Adam's home that God had prepared for him. It's the stage. God set it. Just like when uh, some of us expectant parents have our first child, we get a room that's just beautifully ready, totally in, ant- in anticipation. It, the scene is set. It's perfect. It's ready. Adam is inserted. God says here that he, is it going to work for me? Yes. He put the man he made into the garden. So as we know God's character of being holy, he's perfect, flawless. Um, he's just good. God is a good, good God. He made all these things, things that were pleasing for the eye, good to taste, the fruit, the garden, the animals. This was all for the crux of his creation of Adam and Eve. And uh, so just close your eyes for a second and just imagine what that would be like. I'm going to keep reading because I know you can't read with your eyes closed. I just want you to imagine more of the garden here as we get into it. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful, and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where the gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gion, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Ashur. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. What words come to mind as you just imagine that? Abundance. Abundance. 
Perfect. Peaceful. Fertile. Fertile. Comfortable. Comfortable. Totally. If you were there, what kind of trees would you hope to find? All kinds of fruit. Fruit trees. Fruit? Would that be on the number one? Fruit trees? What kind of fruit trees? All kinds. What kind would you hope to find, Amo? Peaches. Peach. Apples. Orange. Orange. Mango. Mango. What was that one, Becky? Mango. Mango, that would be your top. Pineapple. Pineapple. Ooh, pineapple. When we lived in Papua New Guinea, they grew this pineapple called the king pineapple. They were like a, I don't know what they do to our pineapples like we buy at the grocery store where you eat like half of one and your lips feel like they're going to fall off. You can eat a whole one there and I have no, no problems. I could eat two whole in one sitting. Just amazing. That's not Eden, but that was Papua New Guinea. So I could only imagine what the pineapple in, in Eden, Garden of Eden, would have tasted like. So we feel comfortable. We feel at peace. We feel provided for. Nothing I mean, lacking. Nothing lacking. Yeah, exactly. You can imagine the sights and the foods that were there today because today the foods we have are pretty good, especially where we can go to the grocery store and buy quite a variety, but just now dial it back to where it's perfect. The, the, fruit isn't, the fruit isn't bruised. It didn't travel more than I've traveled in my life to get to us. Um, <laughs> it's right there. You're plucking it. You're smelling it. You're seeing it. There's no sickness. There's no disease. God doesn't create those things. It's perfect. No pollution. Birds and wind. And birds and wind and everything. The birds hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be it'd be almost unimaginable, yet we can imagine it. God's given us an imagination in his creativity and, and we can use that and we can employ that tonight. Um this is God's perfect place, the Garden of Eden. In providing this place and what Adam needs, how is God demonstrating some of his relational qualities. As we see his interactions here with Adam at this point, they're limited in terms of what we know, but how is God showing and demonstrating some of his uh, relational attributes? He supplies everything we need. Yeah, totally. Do we have that here? Whoever can find it first gets a pat on the back. He supplies everything. It's here somewhere, maybe. <laughs> Thank you. Source sustainer of all things. I need to number those and then you guys can tell me what number it is. Yeah, source sustainer, owner of all life. Yeah, exactly. He's the provider. Did he like kind of just like baseline make it? Like, okay, here's, I'm just, I'm giving you like a rotten, you know, mango tree. There's a, like a muskeg over there for your water source. Have at her, Adam. You got, you got food, you got water. Was he like that? Or did he care? Right. Prepared. Prepared, yeah. It's like God just understood exactly how he could fully just pour out lavishness upon his creation. Um, I have this one uh, more literal translation, and, and it actually calls the Garden of Eden the Garden of Lavishness. I thought that's, that's interesting to consider it that way. It was lavish. I mean... 
you think here of how many blueberries fall to the ground every fall that we don't eat, the birds don't eat, the bears don't eat. Imagine the Garden of Eden, there's just like one or two people. Imagine the fruit in abundance that was there. Lavish, thoughtful. He didn't have to just give us dog kibble. He gave all that. What a good God. What a good God we serve. Who chose where to put Adam? It says, it says right there, God put. God decided. Right. Does that strike your chord in you at all, that, that word put? I know the first time I read it, it did for me. Adam didn't know of anything else. God did. That's right. I'm not sure. Does anybody want? I, but I'm not saying you're wrong. Um, I mean, I think it was a particularly special place. And, um, but the whole world at that point was also perfect. Like, it wasn't like Garden of Eden was the only perfect place. The whole universe was perfect. Um, but yeah, I think it was a particularly special place. Remember we talked about the, the tit- that God wasn't a democracy, a democratic government. It, he was a theocratic so God knew. He didn't need to consult. He just put, put Adam there. He didn't, um, yeah, have to ask around or take a popular vote. Adam did have the ability to think and to reason and to move about and make things, but, but God, being the ultimate owner and ruler, he was going to perfectly and lovingly place Adam exactly where, where it would be the place of abundant life. And it was his perfect wisdom that knows best. How did God use his rule and ownership over Adam? Was it abusive? Was it harsh? Was, do we ever see like places where it seemed a little jaded? No, of course not. But sometimes people coming into that thought today, like again, you guys might already be at a place of spiritual maturity. You're just like, well, that's a given. I understand that God wouldn't be harsh in his rule and how he would place Adam. But as you're thinking of the next person that you might teach uh, and disciple, you think of where you think of power today. Does it have a positive connotation or a negative connotation? Pardon? It's negative. Often it's negative. Hey, what happens sometimes with people in power? Corruption. Oftentimes there's corruption. Yeah, exactly. And so sometimes people think of that power. And they, they put it back on God, saying, well, God, too, being all-powerful, surely he must have used it for his own gain, his own selfish reason. But no, he didn't, because that would go against his character attributes that we've already learned of him being holy and perfect and faithful. So you can't, if somebody hears this, you can't let them just hang on to being skeptical of who God is and, his, and suspicious of, of God's rule. We know that it was good. We know that it was kind. I mean, in the garden, God alone knew what was best for Adam. He lovingly directed every detail as you think of creation to bless Adam with a beautiful and perfect environment. And Adam would be in need of nothing. Everything was there in abundance. And then... Yeah, yeah, and we'll get there. He had a job there. I need like a wide... They do make some of the wide stands, don't they? I mean, we can learn... We'll learn as we go along in the Bible, but at this point in time, there weren't things like thorns and weeds and sickness and disease nothing dangerous, as Amo was saying there, that the animals were, were in harmony with everybody, every couple people. <laughs> so this is just another demonstration of God's loving relationship with Adam. 
why do I feel like I'm running out of more space tonight than I usually do? So even in this idyllic place, we get, we get a, a snapshot here of what is actually going on with God and Adam to a deeper level, a greater gift. We see another piece of God's relational qualities towards Adam. Um, God is generous when he gives Adam all of these things. Read Genesis 2, 18 to 20. Your finger should be pretty close there. <laughs> we also have it on the board if you don't have your Bible with you. Who wants to read that for me? I can. Then the Lord, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Did I miss anything? It's on the board. You'll see it there, just this verse. At this point in time, yeah. Pretty extravagant. <clears throat> Is our God stingy? Sometimes people can really have a sense that God has shortchanged them. How can a God be stingy? Right. But it is, it is a perception that people have, but you take people back to the foundations and say, let me show you this stingy God that you think of. Tell me, is he stingy at the end of this? You're right. And is Adam sitting here saying, God, I've named all the animals and I clearly see there's not one for me. Is that what we're reading here? No, he didn't have a clue. He didn't have a clue. I mean, there, you could speculate that, okay, maybe he's seeing like pairs of animals or something like that, perhaps, but that's highly speculative and it's not found in the scripture. But... It says, God is saying, it's not good for man to be alone here right at the beginning in verse 18. It says, I will make a helper for him, suitable for him. So God, in his relational qualities towards Adam, again, was being highly generous, highly thoughtful. From the previous lesson, think about what God commanded Adam to do, subdue the earth, rule over it, care for it, fill the earth. What a massive task. And although God's presence was with Adam and Adam was perfect, God was still providing and sustaining, nourishing him. God still knew that he needed a suitable helper. Because it says it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then at the end, after Adam named it all, but Adam, for Adam no suitable helper was found of the beasts of the field. Um, let's read the next two verses there, 21, or 21 to 22. You want to just keep going there, Andrew? Sure. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Thank you. Somebody want to answer the door? 
<laughs> I figure. So here we read that God put Adam to sleep, deep sleep, or like you can kind of have this idea of a coma. While he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh, and there we have woman. He created Eve from Adam's, from Adam's rib. Try and jump into Adam's shoes, even though he probably had none at this point. Ha ha ha. Tough crowd. Um, you've woken up. God's placed you in this incredible garden. He's breathed the breath of life onto you. You have a soul and a spirit. You wake up. Everything is given to you to take care of. The animals, you don't have anything to be afraid of. We, we, we talked about the feelings that we would have in the garden. You name the animals. You might realize, where's my mate or where's another like me? Even if you're not thinking like a helpmate or whatever. And then, boom, you go into a coma. You wake up. God closes you over. I'm sure his anesthesiologist was like top notch. I'm sure he felt no pain. And then here she is. The apple of his eye, the one that he calls woman. That's incredible. Everything is perfect at this very moment in your life. It's all a gift of God. When God brought Eve to Adam, how did he respond? Let's, uh, I think that's the next. Let's look up here on the board, Genesis 23. Let's read this together. It says, The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. What kind of, what kind of literature is this? Does anybody identify it? It's poetry. When do people write poetry? <laughs> Katie, poor you. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> when do people write poetry other than Kevin Harms? Inspired. Yeah, not only inspired. Amazed. Yeah, amazed. Impressed. Impressed. When things are really good or really bad. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's good too. So Eve was either really good or really bad. <laughs> Which do you want to think she was? Awesome. 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 Adam responded with poetry. He named, him, he named her, it says here in 320, Adam named his wife Eve. So this is interesting. God named Adam, Adam, human. But here Adam named his, his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. Again, we see an order taking place here, right? I'm not, I'm not suggesting Eve is an animal. No, 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 no. God, like Adam did name the animals. There was an order there. But here too, Adam does name, give Eve the name, give her her name. So there is an order here that, that we just want to keep in mind, at the back of our mind as we go forward. God is purposeful. He has something in mind when he created Adam first and then Eve. He's creating the likeness or image of God? She too, yeah. Her too, yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine how thrilled Adam would have been, I'm sure. But here we have man, woman, male, female, equally created in the image of God. 
We talked, touched on this briefly last week. One wasn't made more in the image of, than the other. Together they were made in the image of God. And this is just as God had planned. So today, where are we at with that today? How, how are women valued in some places? As property. It's a big one. Well, it's just the last sentence here on this page. Here. She has a what? What's a mind, emotions, and a will? A heart, is it? Um, we'll get there. We're almost there. Almost there. Yeah, around the world, women are often marginalized. Maybe in Canada we think less so, but still. Women are often marginalized here. It's just a little more brushed under the rug, perhaps. A little more hidden, a little more polished, a little more makeup. Papua New Guinea, man, it was clear that the woman was on the lower part of the totem pole. Fallen man put her there. God did not put her there. God made man and woman equal in his image. He gave her his image. She too reflected God. She too has a soul and a spirit. Not only Adam. With that soul and spirit, she also was given a mind, emotions, and a will to have a relationship with God. And he also created her purposefully to have a relationship with him, right? It's not like God God was just like, Adam, it's all you and I, and you just manage her. No, not whatsoever. It says that she was to be, in the, just the verse before here, was it the verse before? Where did we see that? His helpmate. Her, yeah, his helpmate. Where did we see that? There we go, in uh, 18. A helper suitable for him, but equal in value. It's not, she wasn't told to be his slave, a helper, right? It's just like with our, within our family, we help each other. It's not like a one-way street. Both man and the woman received the mandate to care for the world and to rule over it, the garden there. And she was also, because she was made by God, she was made perfectly to be his companion. It says that earlier we read, there was no suitable helper found for Adam. And that's of the animal kingdom. So pretty awesome. Here we have man and woman, both created to have a deep, meaningful relationship with God. And in our world today, that, that rubs a lot of cultures the wrong way. And in our culture, too, we might think we're better than others, but sometimes we act differently than what we're hearing tonight, that we're all created on par. Any questions on that as we kind of just switch gears here on the lesson or comments? Any truths you're seeing that you want to mention? Let's just kind of pause a little bit here to think about something. Did Adam deserve all these good things? No. He'd been in existence very long, even if he could have, but he didn't. He didn't earn these things. Did Eve? No. In all these things, what is God demonstrating? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
for somebody that brings us pleasure because we're wanting to please them. Totally. And when that all happens, when it's not even deserved or earned, what is it? Grace. Yeah, grace. So we, whoops, we call grace something that's undeserved, it's unearned favor, kindness, and God is the source of grace. We contribute nothing, nor do we owe anything in return. It's not with the strings attached kind of a policy. And we say that grace, it's one-way love in a sense. We're not saying that um, God doesn't want us to love him, but it's a love that's freely given, unmerited, undeserved. What are you guys thinking as, as we say that, as we look at the term grace? Yeah. And this overwhelming grace, like even undeserved, unearned, just does not give me a feeling of what it really, really is. Hmm. His favor and his kindness. Yeah. What were you saying last week about God's kindness? Well, just that we tend to think about the Garden of Eden as just Eden and all the rules as just being a big test for Adam, but that those rules were made out of love for Adam, that they were really in his best interest to follow. And the garden isn't just a test. All those things were done graciously for his good. Yeah. It, see also kind of going on in the creation of the woman, that idea of best interest. God was vitally interested in what would be best for Adam. And his reaction Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And God, in His full knowledge, just exactly what He needed as a helpmate. I don't. I have a thing about safaris. I think it'd be so cool to go on a safari just to have my jaw drop at the amazingness of giraffes and I don't know rhinoceroses and all these things, right? But all that, Adam got to see something like all those, and it was as you said. Tony, when God made it his helpmate, the, the woman, the female species of his, that it was like, yeah, wow. That's right. That's right. He didn't need to get toured around. They probably toured past him. <laughs> I mean, here we see these further relational qualities of God, God's grace, and what an amazing grace it is. And we, we do, with established, we, we do tote this a lot, that God's grace is so amazing, so undeserved, so un, we're so unworthy of it. Adam, even, at this point, being perfect, was so unworthy of God's grace. He didn't, he didn't earn it. There was nothing he could give a God who needed nothing to earn it. How would you respond? How do you respond to God's grace? If you're Adam and Eve at that time, 
thanksgiving. Yeah. Worship. What is worship? More thanksgiving? Yeah. Praise. It says here in, in uh, Psalm 86, 12 to 13a, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. I'm sure Adam's worship was something to that effect. Praise you, all my heart. Glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. And man, imagine the depth of that word great right here. Yeah, exactly. Totally uninhibited. Totally free to love God exactly without any hindrance. That is hard to fathom. That is hard for me to fathom. You know, one thing, too, I, I can't help but notice is that you know, God had told Adam to be fruitful and multiply. Up until the time Eve came along, he was probably thinking, how is that? <laughs> <laughs> but then when she's... When she's uh, but then God provides the way for it to happen and it makes sense that he would have called her the mother of all. He probably saw her as the way for him to fulfill that. Right. Yeah, yeah. He was already, in a sense, practicing faith. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And if he gave her the name Eve, like I think that that's already putting faith in what God said. Yeah. She's the mother of all living. You told me to multiply. I'm going to call her that. Gonna, yeah, yeah. Well, what does Eve mean? The mother of all living. The mother of all living. So right away, just in name, he's, he's saying, yes, God. Yes, God. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And God made it that way. Exactly. Exactly. The union of a man and a woman. So now that we have Eve in the picture, let's reread Genesis 1, 27 and 28, and then Genesis 3, 20 again. So we'll start with Genesis 1, 27 and 28. Someone want to read that for me? And then uh, 3.20. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who lived. Hmm. So there we have it. He blessed them. Be fruitful, increase in number, rule the earth, everything. He's saying rule over it. And he calls her Eve, the mother of all living. Multiply and fill the earth. What a, what a ple- pleasant thing that was, as you said, Tony. How is she described in 320? Just, I want to hear you guys say it so that it's solidified. How is she described in 320? Mother of all living. Mother of all living. Oh, all of all living. Yeah. So do you see how these verses tie to us? Yeah. How? We're your offspring. That's right. 
That's grandma and grandpa right there, you guys. Ancestors. That's right. They're our ancestors of the entire human race. Of the entire human race. And that flies in the face of evolution today. We all descended from just one man and one woman, Adam and Eve. And I think science is actually going more in that direction nowadays, too, of saying, well, there is something shared here. We are starting to see in the DNA coding or whatever. It's like, yeah, Adam and Eve. That's our great, 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 whatever. Our greatest. Greatest, that's right. For everybody. Whether you're white, black, purple, pink, blue, I don't care. And it's interesting... I think, at, I mean, we always have our artistic renditions of what they look like, but God doesn't describe Adam and Eve, not, not their physical appearance, what color, their hair, their eyes, their skin, what size, if they're tall or short or square, you know. But we all descended from that one pair of parents. In the image of God. In the image of God, that's right. So I showed you guys this um, last Thursday, these couple of pictures. Look at these. All these different races of people, every last one of them from Adam and Eve, every last one of them created in God's image as our ancestor Adam and Eve were. Look at the differences here. I mean, these are some extreme pictures, but just different skin color and different ways of dressing and culture and beliefs. And, but not one of these people up here were not created in the image of God. Every one of them is created in the image of God. Inherited. Many things from Adam and Eve passed down. And then this next one, too, I showed you last week. A rainbow color of, of people from light to dark. And God communicates still to each one through his creation, through his word. But as I shared with you guys, I think it was the first Thursday that we got together, that peopleless Bible, uh, the, it's called the Sad List. It's a it's a people it's a Bible list people um, list that long one that I had rolled out with you. There's still so 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 many people that all they have is God's creation to point the way to Him, and they don't have the Word, God's Word, the Living Word in their language. As we get to dive in deep here, does that does that Put a pang in your heart, like a hunger pang, to know, to hear that. There's, there's so many people that don't have access to God's word. Something like 2,500 still remaining people groups. About a third of the world. We've got to send out missionaries, you guys. We've got we to gotta raise up more and more. We've got to be involved. It's not, it's not the story of somebody will do it, but me, you, will do it. And this is part of it. Establish as part of it. Who's the ancestor of uh, this one here? How about uh, this girl over here? How about Brett there? Who's his ancestor? And Brian? Me? You? All of us. Adam and Eve, right? That's what we've we got to take that forward. Adam is. The same goes for every person. So, cousin. Good to see you. <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> That's right. Um, thank you. Thank you, Tony. Do I get that big hound in the backyard? 
<laughs> you might be tasty. <laughs> we could have a roast. So, as we think of Adam being the forefather of humanity, we need to carry this forward. As we realize that every person was created in the image of God, if I'm looking down at any other person ever, we're really, in a sense, looking down on God. If we're looking down on another race, another gender, uh, another age group, all those Y2K people, or, the, or no, what, not Y2K, those uh, Gen X kids, or, or those, you know, them, those people, if those people would only this or that. Those baby boomers. Who are we really calling down? God. Did he not make, didn't we just establish that he made every one of them as well? We're forgetting the truth that God created every man, woman, and child in his image, if that's how we're going to treat somebody. That all of humanity is of utmost value in God's sight. And that God made every one of them as well. And I'm not saying them as any particular person. I'm just saying whoever that brings to your mind that you've called down recently or any time in your life. For, he made them too for a relationship, a deep, meaningful relationship with him. We might understand God loves all of humanity, but how we act sometimes shows what we think. That we're maybe better or superior, or I'm better or superior than somebody that I treat poorly. <clears throat> We've been using an illustration before as if someone hurt my, my son or somebody talked down to my son, how would I feel? How would you feel if somebody insulted your son or called him down? Raise a fist? Knock the lights out? Yeah, that's exactly right. You want to level the playing field or you'd want to bring justice in your unrighteous anger? Do you think God might respond in the same way when people created in his image are belittled or abused? Not the same way in unrighteousness, but he cares, doesn't he? So there's one race. That's what we can boil it down to. One race, one human race. So tonight we're seeing that we are of Adam and Eve, our, our great ancestor. We're all one race, the human race. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.22 and Romans 5.14, that we're all one in Adam. We're from the same family that started in the beginning, long ago. We, we already established in three, Genesis 3.20 that Eve is the mother of all living. So if you're here, if you're living, she's your ancient mother as well. And so that is our connection as well. We're all connected to each other and in essence to God that he desires to have a relationship with us as he had a relationship with Adam and Eve as well. Any comments? Any questions? I was just thinking of this commandment that we are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and emotions and love ourselves, but love others as we love ourselves. And for us to show how we love God is we will love others. Hmm. That just really coming as an arrow tonight. Hmm. Yeah. It's like packaged in with being his image bearer, being his representative, right? to love others if he loves us all. Yeah, that's right, Judy.
Yeah. Yeah, when others were oppressed, how that affected God, yeah. But yeah, we, we do see God's love for, for all. And, and he set the stage, as we said, back here in the Garden of Eden when everything was just hunky-dory, perfect and without flaw. Adam and Eve sitting there naming the animals Adam did and they were working it and subduing the garden in a good way. Um, God was reaching to them. God was initiating it all. God did it all without you know, asking in his theocracy. He, he did it in his sovereignty. He didn't need to ask somebody else. And we're going to see this more and more as we go forward into more stories of the Bible. This is really the launching of the narrative of God's Word. We've been really kind of laying a lot of, a lot of um, footings here in our foundation. And um, so, yeah, we're just going to kind of recap as we get to these two trees. Um, so far, we've highlighted the creation of, uh, of uh, Adam and Eve and how God's engaged with them in a relationship. And in the midst of God's provision, love, and grace, God has done something kind of interesting. In the middle of the garden, he made two trees, tree of life, tree of knowledge. Knowledge of good and evil or good and bad, whatever. And the tree of life, eternal life. Let's read Genesis uh, 2, 8 and 9. Or you can read it up here on the board. Just make sure I don't have any typos because I found one already. Did anybody else spot one I had earlier up there? <laughs> I think I was saying the word of, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, PowerPoint is not infallible. So it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. There he put man, as we established. He put the man he had formed. And, God, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's continue reading to find specific instructions regarding these two trees. 15, 16. The Lord God took man and put him in the... What? Yeah. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and, care, and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What did God just forbid? Not to eat uh, the bad tree because it would bring death. Right. Yeah, if Adam defied God and what he was lying out here, the knowledge of good and evil, if he ate of that tree, death would it come. He would know good and evil. Why would God tell them not to possess for themselves the knowledge of good and evil? Pardon? Yeah. So, like, death, yeah, was a consequence, but let's back up a little bit from there. Why did he want them to have knowledge of good and evil? Yeah, I think that's... Why he didn't want them to have the knowledge of good and evil? Yeah. Because he didn't want them to experience evil. Okay. He didn't want them to be able to choose to do evil. When we have kids, and there's a crowd of grown-ups around, and grown-up conversation comes around, what happens? 
when the kids and grown-ups are in the same room, what happens among the grown-ups? Say it's your kid there and it's your belligerent friend who comes over. Yeah. Tell me, what happens? They learn words they shouldn't know. Or, if you're a parent that's on guard, what happens? Yeah, exactly. You protect your child, right? Shh, shh, shh. Freddy's here. You mind just like, or earmuffs, Freddy, earmuffs. <laughs> don't listen, la, la, la. Yeah, you ask the person, I don't want my kid to hear this. And why? Protect their innocence. I think, I, think that's, I think we're circling in on it now. Protect their innocence. You're, you're their parent. You're their, their guard, their protector, their provider, humanly speaking. Well, if they choose to do, if they know the difference, they can lean what's good and right and wrong, good and evil, and they choose to do, uh, for whatever reason, they would choose to do evil, um, then uh, they're guilty, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> So I think where the analogy of like a parent with a child versus God with Adam and Eve, where it falls apart of this protection is, is um, God is perfect and holy. And, and he's doing this out of a loving relationship that has no wrong in it. I mean, a parent with a kid, you can have other, other things tied into it. I mean, the person themselves at this time wouldn't be perfect. I'm not perfect. Um, there would be flaws in my, in my governing of my child. But God, at this time, there, there's no flaws. He's, he wants Adam and Eve to be totally dependent on him. And no, God isn't manipulative. He's not like, ah, I'm going like, to keep a little back so that they just kind of keep coming to me for more. It's not that. God doesn't work in that way. That's not God's holiness. That's not his absolute loving kindness and care. That's not in line with that. So we know that's not where God was coming from, is he wanted them to remain innocent and in independence on him. But what does that speak of? He wanted them to stay in communion, communion relationship with him. Exactly, dependence on him. I mean, today we, we, we say that independence is so valued in our culture. God, who is a perfect provider, the sustainer, the provider the supplier of all good things, he wanted them to remain in complete dependence on him by seeking his guidance, seeking his counsel, seeking his wisdom. In Genesis 3.22, it says that if, if Adam and Eve ate from the tree of life, they would live forever. Have you ever looked at the two trees as maybe a test of, of their relationship with God? Adam is presented with the opportunity to choose something that God told him not to do. And if he did, does, God says... There'll be a consequence. What's the consequence? Death. Yeah, death. He says, you will Sin. certainly die. Sin. It doesn't say possibly. Or... Sin, separation from God, right? Right. It, so, in order to have a relationship with God, Adam had to really, he had to pick what was of greater value to him. God's perfect relationship, God's perfect provision, God's perfect rule, or the understanding of good and evil for himself the redefining of good and bad for himself and being independent of the one who provides him all good things. 
why would God want him to eat from the tree of life? To have everlasting life. Yeah, to maintain what was so good and true, yes. what was pure. So with death, I mean, I, I do, it, it strikes a funny chord to me as, as they're told of death here because in the garden, was there death? Was there decay in a perfect environment? No. So they're told about something that maybe they had privy information that the, we don't know of about what death is, but they were told, you'll die. And they're like, hmm, I wonder what death is. I've never seen death. I don't know what death is, but that's the warning. There'd be a consequence. And if God, the one who loves me, is telling me just don't do it, then that should be enough. Don't do it. Because I'm the parent and I said so. <laughs> no. <laughs> but God is essentially their parent, right? So here we're introduced with a new concept, death. Adam and Eve, they could see life. They could see God's abundant provision of life. But death probably would have been even a strange idea for them. How do you guys define death? You guys are just too good. Can you be a little less good, please? <laughs> Eternal separation from God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at, at its basal sense, it's the absence of life. Mm -hmm. But again, life can have a multifaceted meaning with like what you're saying, Brian, right? Just as darkness is the absence of light, cold is the absence of heat, death is the absence of life. Um, what would it mean, what could it mean for Adam and Eve? What, what do you think maybe even they were envisioning or imagining? Yeah. Probably had no idea. What would it mean for Adam and Eve? Um, to, to disobey. Yeah, it, they didn't have to wait long. Yeah, there was definitely a grief. There was guilt, uh, guilt on them. So here's a picture of a, of a wilted tree branch. If it was still summer, I would bring one in. I'd hang it here. I'd let you watch it for a period of time. Um, think of this tree branch. Is this tree branch going to do very well independent of the trunk and the roots from which it grew? Doesn't look like it's doing good currently, does it? it I mean, it needs, it, it needs that tree and that root for stability, for life, for nourishment, for fruit to come off of it, everything, right? Is that any different than what Adam and Eve, what their reality was? Yeah, they would be cut off. I mean, life, as we're talking of life and death, there's some nuances here where we know we're going to go, but there's some subtleties that actually is going to, we're going to see there's sort of two aspects of life and death, right? And, and I'm not going to dive into all that right now, but, but basically, yeah, if I cut off the branch that was leafy and green and bearing fruit, it would just wilt, it would die, it would shrivel up because it's cut off from its source of life. And who is our source of life? We're talking about who controls the, your heartbeat, Jesus. your breath. Yeah, our triune God does. That's right. That's right. We are to abide in him and then he in us. He's the source, the giver of life, remember? And so Adam and Eve, our God is telling them to stay connected. Death would separate them from their source of life. But they had two options before them. And what will they choose? going to kind of cap it there. As we finish this lesson, the main truth we want to make sure that you do understand is God offers not just a relationship, but an eternal relationship 
with him. Is there any questions just kind of around this one statement tonight that are hanging on your minds? Is there other truths that you guys see that you want to kind of pull out? Other foundational truths of who God is or who man is at this point in the narrative of history that you want to lay out there as our bedrock? Lavishly gracious our God is to us. Yeah? I accept that. <laughs> I just like the week that we had. Lucifer was created perfect. And we had a week to dwell on that. And then he created man. Women in his image. We had a week to dwell on that. And now this garden. Hmm. And what all it was like. We had a week to dwell on that. Yeah, it's sweet, eh? Anything else you guys want to throw out there? There's just a few I'm going to touch on. Just to, And feel free to be, maybe you guys are writing stuff down that you don't want to share. Um, but is God not a present God? God is so there. He's telling, he was telling Adam, here's the trees, don't eat of this. He was so present. He was so there. He wanted them to eat from the tree of, the, of life. So that's also telling us that God is desiring to stay connected with his image bearers. To be connected with his image bearers. Adam and Eve have an option to obey or disobey. Great question. Yeah. Because Adam was perfect, could he have even seen God the Father? Because Adam was perfect, could he have seen God the Father? Oh, right. I see what you're saying. I mean, it sounds like God was present. So it says, so present walk, walk with them in the cool of the day. Because we now can, can never see God the Father. Right. Yeah. And at that time, because Adam was perfect, there was absolutely no sin. Well, in a sense, it's like more that God can't see us because <laughs> he can't be in the presence of sin and unrighteousness. Do you have something, Andrew? You're well, clear. it says, you know, when we see the face of Christ, that's how we see the Father. Oh, yeah. No, and I, I imagine I, I, I even in the garden, that was true. Yeah. That, that somehow it was through the Son that... that there was this, that communion, this is maybe? Not in the Bible. This is my conjecture. Somehow, that when God was walking with Adam in the garden, that was the sun or some, you know, um, whatever you call it. What do you call the, the God's presence or whatever? Theophany. Theophany of, mm. of the sun, if mm. anything. But, yeah. Well, hey, well, that's not the, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah in, the, in the genealogies where we get the genealogies listed, it goes right back to Adam, and then it says the Son of God. So, I, I, I just threw that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> How? Because everything was so perfect. Right. Yeah, that's good Good stuff to just chew on and morning, morning thoughts. What about God's value of life at this point? We're all, we talked about us today being descendants of theirs, of Adam and Eve, 
all race, all races, the human race. So where, where does God place value on people? Some higher than others, men higher than women. Yeah, God values the human race. Yeah. How about, as we think of the provision in the garden, what kind of a provider is God? Yeah, he's perfect. Is he not abundant? Well, you said lavish already, so yeah, I guess that ties it in. Lavish. He made it all, so is he the owner of it? Yeah. So just those are a possible few other things that I'm seeing through this lesson, and feel free to add to it yourself. I think this is where you guys will engage greater with the scripture as you kind of, even through the week, as Judy's saying, chew on it farther, park on it, and what are the truths of God? What are the bedrocks here that is universal? I could take this scripture and just see it, and it's true, it's tried and true. This is who God is. His goodness, his kindness, his lavishness, his provision, his ownership of life, his value of life, all these types of things. Okay, so now we're going to bundle our contrasting beliefs here. As I mentioned some of those things, that God is a present God, he values life. Adam and Eve have a choice here. Um, God is the provider, the sustainer uh, of life, the owner of life. Let's, let's pit this against some lies and where we're at with this today. Um, how about, so yeah, where do I want to start here? So in our world today, how important do we say life is or isn't? Yeah. But we are created in the image of God. Yeah, like that's where life begins. Creation. Abortions would suggest what? Right? Yeah, not valuing babies. Yeah, thanks for the distinction there, because some would say, well, we value life, we value the woman's choice. What else? Who said kill all people? Sorry? Oh, I didn't hear that. Sorry. Was that, would that encapsulate euthanasia? Well, I don't know. That's how I sounded it out. It's wrong. Right, Becky? No, that's right. Uh, yes! <laughs> really? I think so. I mean, I don't know why you're asking me. <laughs> oh, you think that's an A probably? It's an E, but I think it's an A. Euthanasia? Anyways. Is it? There you go. Um, war? Murder? That doesn't show much value of life, does it? Um, how about in contrast? I, I used to work in uh, the medevac field. I mean, we have a nurse in our presence here. How about on the other side of it? So this is on devaluing life. How about like in the sense of uh, can we overvalue life? Is that, is that possible to overvalue life? I'm not saying it is or it isn't. I'm throwing this out there. This is discussion time. I don't think well, when, when, you get, get ever when you get a premium, what 
Yeah. Life support. Yeah. Yeah. I think like sometimes I see this touching on more like sort of the, the under heart of are we, are we in a sense playing God with some of that? And I'm, I don't want to get into like medical ethics here. That's a, yeah, you probably studied medical ethics, eh? I bet that was a stressful class, wasn't it? <laughs> but yeah, just, and I won't write anything in here, but that idea. Okay, so we're not talking of human life here. Human, so just like, like yeah. 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 Yeah, redefining there, value there, of life. Yeah, good catch, Kev. Yeah. <laughs> Mosquitoes weren't invented until bef- after Garden of Eden. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they drank nectar. Nectar. Okay, Andrew has something here to say. Oh, yeah. wouldn't do that because we are too valuable. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I guess, I don't know if that's quite overvaluing life, but it's certainly being presumptuous with, with, with God's grace. Yeah. What do you want me to, what do you want me to write? I, I guess universalism might be, it might, might fall under that. That he couldn't possibly punish anybody, you know. Right. That there's no, that there is no consequence. Like we read with Adam and Eve, there's a consequence, so people would deny that part. Eat from the tree of life. Yeah. Right. Totally. Um, Of what was yours for the taking? Yeah, yeah. That's right. Right, right. Yeah, what can you do for me? That'll determine how much I value you. How much, how much your life is worth. 
Well, it's like you can see it, you know, the shallow, a super shallow example. Who was that, um, that singer on a, Britain's Got Talent and she was like really not pretty? Oh, yeah. What was her name? And then she came out just like yeah. opera. Yeah. And it just, she was like, wow. <sighs> Susan, yeah. Susan Boyle. Boyle, right? Prime example of exactly what you're saying. Oh, this ugly woman. And then, oh, no, now we actually, and then everyone tries, you can hear in there, oh, no, 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 like I wasn't really, I, I just knew she was going to have a great voice. She's a great person just because she is a great person. It's like, you could see the looks on all those, the panel there. It's like, you guys were already like, who is this cat lady? You know, like <laughs> nothing against cats, but yeah, no, you're right. Actually, one of the, one of the argument you hear sometimes against abortion is that, well, you might be killing somebody who would come up with the cure for cancer or something. But the truth is, is that person has value whether they do any of right. that ever. That's so far down the line in tertiary yeah, whatever. Yeah, they still have value whether they would ever do anything amazing. Yeah, intrinsic value because God made in God's image. Mm -hmm. That's right. Totally. I mean, we, we can also stereotype. We can, there's racism. There's devaluing of life in all of those um, terrible things. Feminism, chauvinism, you name it, right? Lots of isms. Even to take our own lives, like maybe or, or suicide and things like that, there's no value then. Yeah. Think about God. Well, the thing now, too, that's coming about that I'm hearing more and more of is like how beautiful people take their lives. <laughs> and there's a lie. So, but that's being, that's being esteemed now, higher and higher. Well, they really got their things in order. They like made sure they had you know, this and that and their kids were taken care of and their spouse was taken care of and all their affairs were in order. And then they had a beautiful ceremony and then they took the shot, drank the drink, whatever it is, I don't know. Oh, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful death. Death is not beautiful. Death is never beautiful. Separation is never beautiful. Especially on the eternal front. Devaluating life you're slapping the one who is the giver and source of life in the face. That's God. God is the giver of life, the taker of life, the sustainer of life, the provider of life. And of course, we're, all of our minds are going here already. Some of us are talking about the physical body, the physical life. But of course, there's our soul, our spirit, the eternality of our life. <clears throat> Yes. That's right. Yeah, because spiritually speaking, he's alive and he's eternal. We're all eternal going forward. We were created. There was a beginning, unlike God who has no beginning. But for us, we had a beginning, but our spirit and soul is eternal. Yeah, but it depends on are you going to be separated from the source of life beyond physical death or not? What, what are things in our lives today that compete with the reality of God offering an eternal relationship with him? Witnessing prayer, worshiping him, uh, reading the Bible and fellowship with other Christians. <sighs> Getting really shorthand here. Competition for relationship with God. Beautiful, right? Thank you. What did you say, Emil, with that? Witnessing two hours about Jesus, prayer, 
worshiping him, reading the Bible, and fellowship with other Christians. Those are great examples of, yeah, being in a relationship with God. What are things that, in a, that, that compete? Work against, yeah. Work against having a relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah. Ungratefulness. Yeah. My own sin. Why do you have to pick such a long word, Terry? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. That's a good one. It's right. Ungratefulness. Work, TV, money, egocentric, self-centeredness, cell phones, other people, food, ungratefulness. What, did you say something more, Kevin? Yes. Sure. But yeah, status, fame, achievement. I mean, some of, some of these things aren't bad, of course, in and of themselves. I think we all probably are calibrated on that, but I don't want to assume either. Challenge yourself on some of these thoughts. Entertainment competes with a relationship with God, for sure. But exactly, when they are placed on a higher, what do you say, value than God, then there's a problem. I guess something that might relate to some often like a Christian crowd also would be ministry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Gambling. Well, that dangerous calling book we just started reading, right? Yeah. Gambling. Did this pastor, yep, gambling. This pastor says, well, 99% of the rest of the women of our church would love to be married to me. And she's like, well, I'm that 1% that <laughs> wouldn't want to be married to you. Anyways, dangerous calling, Paul, David Tripp, something like that. Anyways, for the reference. Um, yeah, so exactly, mixing things up, things that seem to be good, but in unhealthy quantities. Uh, you know, that, that's all of this here, right? Yeah, yeah, on pure motives. Um, anything else you guys want that you're thinking of as we wrap up and close this lesson? We have life, we have breath. God wants an eternal relationship with each of us. We're made in his image to reflect him. And this is on, we're thinking eternally as well. As we look at these things, they do not value life with God, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. It does not honor God desiring who is the initiator of of relationships as we see in the garden. Adam wasn't there first. God was there first. And God created it all for him. God wants a relationship. So all these things here, abortions, euthanasia, universalism, you know, planet Earth and animals above people, and all of these things here, where if we value them higher than a relationship with God, flies in defiance with who God is, what God wants, and what he's deserving and worthy of. So do we hold on to these? Or do we destroy these beliefs? Who wants to do it? He might get a basket like he did last time. All right, somebody, somebody come and destroy these here. We're not going to hold on to these beliefs. Anybody? Emil, you want to rip these? No. I want to see you get one.